Welcome to the Bikepack Adventures Podcast. I am your host, Chris Panaski. This podcast was created so as to share the stories of bike tours, bike packers, and endurance racers from around the world as they embark on amazing adventures. Through their stories, you'll be able to learn the ins and outs of bike travel. You'll get insight into various countries and cultures, hear fantastic stories of their journeys, and through both mine and my guests' experiences, you'll learn about the pros and cons of specific gear, bikes, and bike setups. If you're new to bike travel and considering going on an adventure, I hope the podcast provides you with that extra little bit of motivation to make it happen. The Bike Pack Adventures Podcast is proudly supported by Panorama Cycles, Redshift Sports, Tailfin Bikepacking Equipment, Montan Sports Canada, Race Day Fuel, and Brockton Cyclery. Their continued support allows me to focus my efforts on providing you amazing content. Now let's get rolling. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Bike Pack Adventures Podcast. It is Friday, December 15th today. And it's my daughter's second birthday, so she's upstairs sleeping. We uh, we didn't have a party. We're not having a party this week. We did it last week um, just for... Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, anyways, just because it worked out better that weekend. And um, yeah, I messed up my foot, which really sucks. I, uh, I stepped on a shoe in the house after... I mean, I'd had some drinks throughout the, the party time. Um, but I wasn't like drunk stumbling around. I was just walking from my bedroom to the bathroom or vice versa from the bathroom to my bed. And I stepped on a shoe that was on its side, right in the middle of the ball of the foot, bruising the foot, probably because I put all my weight down instead of going, oh, there's something there. Um, I had a few drinks and um, probably was desensitized to it. Anyways, stomped down pretty hard. And uh, by midday Sunday, the next day, I was like, damn, my foot is sore. What's going on with it? And only then did I kind of start to piece things together. I was like, oh, yeah, I stepped on that shoe. Um, it led to like inflammation, no bruise, but uh, inflammation that went right through to the toes, um, the second toe in there, the one next to the big toe, and made it really painful to walk and have it bend. So the inflammation pushing on the tendons because they're all going kind of through the middle of the ball. And uh, made for an awful, awful week. Um, just, you know, limping everywhere. Um, and there's no worse way to tell a story than I hurt my foot stepping on my wife's shoe. It's like the Lego thing, right? I guess I have a two-year-old daughter. Give her another year, I'll be complaining about stepping on Lego, I presume. Anyways, so mostly feeling better. Um, no, I'd say it's probably like 70% right now, 80%. Um, I can walk on it, but it's still a little bit painful and I'm kind of doing a little bit of a hobble just to, to relieve a little bit of the weight on it. And I've started taking some Advil off and on just to, to, to help lower the inflammation. Anyways, I'm not very good at continuing that stuff. So yeah, I haven't been very dedicated to it. Anyways, uh, what else? Um, Sunday last week before my foot started hurting bad, I was splitting wood by hand because the wood splitter wasn't putting out enough pressure so something was going on with hydraulics on it and um i just said screw it i'm tired of waiting and delaying so i'm just gonna split it all by hand and it cuts pretty well when it's frozen or cold so um yeah it was it was coming down through pretty good except for those really big pieces sometimes i had to hit them like 
I think one of them, man, had to be a dozen times to get to break. Um, but once you get that first split, it's pretty good. Anyways, yeah, so that is that. It's a part of life when you're living in the countryside. Um, oh, I just got a whole bunch of new clothes in from Montan Sports Canada. Super excited to, once my foot heals, to get out fat biking and uh, test out some of this winter clothing, as well as cross-country skiing. It's going to be perfect for that. Uh, the chamois pretty, uh, so the, the thermal bibs, um, I mean, I could use them cross country skiing if I wanted to, the, the chamois not too big on them. It's not too bulky. I don't think I will. I will probably use a couple different pairs of things. I have some like, um, anyways, different, different options, but the jackets and stuff are, are excellent. Um, so really looking forward to, to rocking and rolling with those on, um, I'll definitely provide some updates uh, on the unpacking bike packing episode. I'm going to record in the next uh, week or two. Yeah. Uh, Canadian Shield Bike Packing Summit uh, version two or whatever, season two or whatever you want to call it. The second Canadian Shield Bike Packing Summit uh, is set for the weekend of May 24th, 26th. I did announce that before. I'm going to start updating the website over the next couple of weeks and just kind of get it all tuned in and fine tuned and uh, yeah, start adding presenters and kind of topics and the schedule and all these fun things and and uh, hopefully start selling tickets in January. I'm waiting for January because I don't want to have to worry more about figuring out taxes and budgets and things like that uh, in December. So yeah, that is it. Um, if you have been enjoying the podcast, I... Um, I would love if you were willing to contribute, you could do that through patreon.com slash bikepackadventures or through donations through PayPal. Um, super, super appreciated. Um, I'm realizing right now that emails might not be coming through to me. So that is a possibility. I'm, I'm trying to, I changed the host platform for my podcast, uh, for the website, sorry. And in, I was using InMotion Hosting, and that's where the emails addresses were made. And I haven't quite figured out how to move them to Webflow. And uh, so if anybody's listening and knows how to do that, that would be wicked cool if you figured and helped me out with that. I have literally no idea. But as a, uh, a kindly advisor told me, he's like, just call their customer service. You pay for it. They will provide the service and explain things to you. So maybe I should just get off my ass and call them, get it done, figure it out. Anyways, yeah. So... Um, Super excited in this episode of the Bike Pack Adventures podcast. I have a chance to speak with Chris Lee Francis. Um, actually, I first interviewed Chris nearly a year ago. Um, kind of crazy how fast time went by. But um, unfortunately, something was wrong with the audio. And it was the first episode I've ever done where I just couldn't release it. And, and you know, it, it really pissed me off. It made me mad. Um I tried, I edited, I worked with it, and I just couldn't make it great. And um, yeah, so that was the first and only episode that I have not been able to release. Uh, yeah, fortunately, I guess, in the aftermath of this failed episode, um, Chris finished his travel memoir, Eastwards and Far, and that's the name of the book. Um, and he was gracious enough to send me a copy and... What I really liked is it has a really good flow about it, you know, um, and uh, one in which I, don't know, I think like experienced bike tours can easily relate to a lot of the situations and the stories that that tie in with it. And I guess that 
people who want to go bike touring or just interested in the topic and stuff, they're kind of easily captivated by. So it was a very fun read, easy, um, relatable, all those good things. So, uh, yeah. And finally, now we've had a chance to re-record this podcast and I hope you enjoyed this conversation, which really kind of focused on avoiding sports, uh, commuting to save money and, um, crossing the world's second largest country just because they built a trail. So enjoy guys and, uh, talk to you soon. Bye-bye. All right. Uh, Chris, welcome, uh, back to the podcast, I should say. Yeah. Thank you. Round two. Round two. Um, you know, that was the first and only, not the first, I should say, I say, I should say it was the only podcast I've ever recorded where there was something in the background audio that could not adjust, you know, and I couldn't, so I felt really shitty that I couldn't, uh, I couldn't post it. And I'm so happy that we're actually having a chance to do this now. Um, yeah. And it actually gave me a chance to read your book, which was, uh, really great. So, uh, we can talk about that, uh, as well. Yeah, that's, that's cool. Some of the stuff we spoke about actually found its way into the book. So it, maybe it was a sort of serendipity that that conversation didn't work mm. out. So. That's neat how that works, huh? So, um, yeah, Chris, why don't you introduce yourself and uh, tell us who you are? Yeah, so I'm Chris, uh, Chris Lee Francis. I am a cyclist and author living in the UK. I live in um, Oxfordshire in the Cotswolds and um, I've recently published a book about a bike ride across Canada in 2017, um, which we spoke about before, the the ride, and the book was still in progress. I think it was about a year ago we spoke, maybe? It was about a year ago, yeah. Yeah, so since then, the book has been rewritten pretty much from scratch. Um, yeah, and here we are. Well, I'm glad our, uh, our attempted podcast uh, figured everything out for you. <laughs> yeah, that's it. And I do keys. believe you are a new father, so a huge congratulations are in order. Yeah, thank you. She's uh, 12 weeks. She's just just gone down to bed, so I was yeah, I yeah. angled the microphone away from where she is just in case there's any crying. But Right, we yeah. Be- well, I mean, if it happens, it happens. I have a two-year-old. She's turning two next week. And if there's background noise of a baby screaming later, well, you know, we'll just work around it. So yeah, it's authentic. Yeah. Is yours, is yours on the bike yet? Uh, She has, uh, so we have a chariot for behind the, the behind the, like the, the uh, trailer type thing, trailer stroller. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, They're now owned by Thule, but it's, it was a Canadian company originally. Uh, So we have one of those and I have a little one that, hooks with a pole between my seat and handlebars where she can sit on as well cool and then she has a couple little push bikes that have multiple wheels so they don't fall over upstairs and and uh yeah yeah, so she's she's definitely uh around bikes a lot yeah nice yeah i'm looking forward to the first day when um ours is old enough to come on a seat behind us on the bike yeah and the uh one thing i found is that she at first she didn't like wearing her helmet and then she got used to it and she started wanting to wear her helmet all the time. So I made it like a rule that she could only wear it when we're on the bike. And I tell her, no, no, this is for when we're on the bike. Do you want to go on the bike? Yeah. And then so we go on the bike and have a little rip around the neighborhood or whatever. And so now she knows it's kind of like getting to wear the helmet, which is fun for her. Uh, mm-hmm. Equals going out riding, which is fun for daddy. So hey, win win. Yeah. That's a, I've not heard of that route into cycling before. Just uh, the only place you're allowed to wear the helmet. That's cool. <laughs> and uh, what's your daughter's name? Uh, Violet. Violet. Nice. And ours is Jasmine. Yeah. So they're both flowers. 
Ah, that's very sweet. Yeah, yeah very nice. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so you uh, you grew up in the UK. Um, you know, growing up, did, were you in like a... Uh, were you in an outgoing, outdoorsy type family? Or uh, what was what's your story? How did you, you know, get into biking? Not really. So we had dogs and we did dog walking, but that was usually just in the park over the road. So it was short, short circuit in the mornings, a bit longer in the evenings, but never never like family activities really um and i tried as hard as possible to avoid pe at school so i'd always tactically forget my kit and make some sort of lousy excuse why i couldn't go home and get it um so i'd say that probably less than half of pe lessons i took part in and i was usually just oh, wow, at the okay. side so yeah i worked hard to avoid it um what age but, group is this like i'm an elementary school teacher and i haven't had that yet i have kids that are you know they're not happy to do pe but they never yeah. forget their stuff. This was, so it was in secondary school. So I okay. started there when I was 11 yeah. and it was all boys school. I was quite shy and I wasn't that physically sort of, I wasn't interested in the sport. So, and there's always like a lot of um, people like turning the lights out and beating each other up in the changing rooms and stuff. So mm -hmm. I think I just associated that with PE and tried to get out of it whatever way possible. Yeah. So, yeah. Like a yeah. little bit of then, trauma to add to the, the challenge yeah. of PE as it is, right? <laughs> Yeah, that's it. And there was, we used to do orienteering, so they'd send us out of the school grounds with a map yeah. to find our way around. And it was in a part of London that wasn't so great. So they had to stop us from doing orienteering because a streaker kept coming out and sort of flashing himself to the kids. So they shut that down. So that was part of the, uh, part so, of the package. That's had so to deal fucked with. up. Yeah. So yeah, mixed bag. And I didn't, um, didn't enjoy it too much. But my mum cottoned on at one point. She was like, you're spending too much time playing video games, not enough physical activity. This isn't good habits to get into. So you're going to have to join some sort of after school club. And then I decided I didn't want to do that either. So I was trying to figure out other things to do. Um, I suggested walking to school. She said that doesn't count because I wouldn't be able to get up early enough. And then I suggested cycling school, which she agreed to um, on the proviso that I actually did it. So the first say a week or two I was doing it and really enjoyed it and then after that she didn't have to actively encourage it anymore so that was my first sort oh, of that's cool. voluntary cycling yeah and it stuck so you were in high school 13, and that was that kind of took you through right yeah yeah all the way through school then college then university as well so definitely worked nice and uh, the so the cycling continued through university where you kind of like did you start touring at all or do any travel or was it more uh, just a, as a commuting, purely a commuting thing? At first it was commuting because we lived about 40 minute walk from campus and there was no direct bus. So I borrowed a um, sort of women's frame city bike from the campus um, bike hub and it was really heavy, really clunky, three gears, which wasn't great for hilly, hilly leads. Um, but yeah, it got me there and back. And then my friend who I lived with had a bike as well and he used to go on rides along the canal to the next town over or sort of around some of the nice parts of the Yorkshire Dales and I started tagging along with him. Mm. Can you hear the dog? Sorry, sure can. can the, the dog <laughs> it's all good. <laughs> yeah, bit of a madhouse. I have a dog too, so it could just as easily have been my dog. <laughs> yeah, cool. We'll go with that. But yeah, I started tagging along to these rides um, and... And the one I remember most was cycling along from Leeds to Skipton along the canal, which is about 30 miles away. Um, so like nice flat ride, beautiful winter's morning. And in the five, six hours it took us to get there, we stopped at maybe five or six pubs. And it was just a real nice Perfect. day out. 
and yeah, having the bike as the vehicle to take you on that journey. Well, the pub, the pub thing seems to be an ongoing, uh, ongoing thing in all your stories from what I've read. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely, yeah, a focal point. Yeah. Um, I think it's quite a, in the UK, at least whenever you're on a walk or a bike ride, it's usually a pub involved somewhere at the end, maybe in the middle as well, but yeah. Yeah, I do have a few friends that live in the UK and uh, a lot of um, when a lot of times when you say, oh, we went on a biking trip and it, their stories involve like the the B&Bs they sleep at and drink at or the pubs where, you know, I guess some like older style English pubs have like rooms upstairs, right? Like, mm -hmm. so yeah. that kind of thing. And I was like, oh, that's great. <laughs> yeah. And you can pull up at like 8 or 9 p.m., have a couple of drinks, get talking to someone and usually get an invite to camp in a garden or ah. something like that in mm -hmm. the countryside pubs. So. If you're a bike tourer, it's definitely a good way to get, um, yeah, accommodation for sure. Yeah, yeah, and um, so, so yeah, you you rode to Leeds. That was about thirty miles, so fifty k. In case uh, people in uh, not the UK or US are wondering, um, and that was kind of your first overnighter kind of thing, I guess, in a sense. And although you might have not wild camped or anything. Yeah, that was actually yeah. We got got to Skipton, had a few pints, and then got a train back. So it wasn't even a overnight, okay. but it was definitely the first recreational bike ride that made me want to do more recreational bike rides yeah so planted a seed okay and that was with the guy the guy who i cycled across with in the end as well so that nice alex one. or christian which one uh christian right alex alex okay alex yeah yeah <clears throat> yeah so he he and i met in toronto when we were studying there and he after this year in leeds that was his final year at uni he came back to the oh, uk okay. to do that and then moved out to quebec city so he was sort of yeah out there Okay, so that that's what brought him out there. I was wondering kind of what happened there, and um, yeah. yeah, and you guys did a bit of a was it a bike adventure that took you up to Algonquin Park in in uh, yeah, so twenty thirteen twenty thirteen yeah, yeah, I went back to Toronto to just have a look around, see some friends, and Alex was there, um, and we cycled. He came across from Quebec City, met me, met up with me, and we cycled back to Quebec City via okay. Algonquin. So we just sort of improvised our way north out of Toronto. Couple of, couple of little then, detours on the way, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> went into it was Whitney where we went across to Algonquin yep. on the South Highway, and then followed that road like east across the river. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah, you uh, cross near Pem river, near Pembroke or where the dam is, right? I forgot the name of it. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah, into before Shawville, I guess, or kind of that's yeah. the direction. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah. yeah, and then went along the north shore of the. <clears throat> yeah, that's all my, yeah. my, I consider it my greater neighborhood, you know, like that whole, yeah. the whole Ottawa Valley and Udoi region is just kind of like my playground. So reading, nice. uh, yeah, reading really the book, nice. I was like, oh, I know, I know exactly where he's talking about. That's cool. Yeah. It's a really nice part of the world. Really fun cycling as well. Loved it. Yeah. So you guys made your way to Quebec City and that was, was that kind of like your big first bike tour or had you done anything prior to that? Yeah. So back in Leeds, me and, uh, I, I cycled from Leeds to Berlin in Germany. And that oh, was, nice. I forgot that about was, that. Yeah. That was a fundraising ride. There's a Leeds um, university rag society, which stands for raise and give. And they just organize a bunch of like adventures through the year to raise money. Um, they've got a few bike rides. They've got a jailbreak, which is where everyone meets in Leeds city centre and then has to get as far away from the UK as possible in 48 hours without spending any money. So people are trying to like blag their way onto buses and ferries and That's cool. unsuccessfully planes and things. And the people who get furthest away win. But um, yeah, I joined in the bike ride 
And it was it's 600 miles of flat riding pretty much all the way across the Netherlands and into Germany. So that was a really good introductory tour because they took all our bags in a van, set up camp for us every night. Um, and we'd just arrive in a campsite with everything set up, a dinner ready. Okay. No hills. So yeah, gives gave a slightly misleading impression of what a tour is really like. But And you guys managed that in two fun. days? 48 no, hours? Like, uh, no, that was uh, oh, okay. eight days. <laughs> okay. The, the I was like, break. damn. Yeah, yeah. Hey, uh, can we try know. one more thing? Can you try turning the down the volume on your microphone just a bit more? Yes. How's that? Sounds better, I think. We'll see. Cool. Yeah, yeah that's better. Yeah, that background noise is gone. So there was a bit of background noise. So for anybody that was listening, I apologize. I might not be able to get rid of it, but we'll see. Who knows? It's actually way better now. It's like 100%. Okay, cool. Cool. So you guys spent eight days and cycled Berlin. How was that? Was that, I mean, I, I presume being European that you have been out of the UK before, but maybe not. I don't know. Um, so yeah. what was it like going into Netherlands and Berlin and all that stuff and, or Germany, I should say. Yeah. Yeah. I've been out of the UK before that. So I sort of, um, I knew what to expect, but seeing it by bike was, was very different, especially in the Netherlands. Cause I don't know if you've, I don't know if you cycled in the Netherlands before, but I've drank um, in the Netherlands. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I haven't cool. cycled. Yeah. <laughs> but they have, they're very good at both. They have a dedicated cycle infrastructure everywhere. Yeah. It's separate from the road, usually raised and they treat cyclists with like complete respect. So cycling through that country was just a whole different idea. world, isn't it? Yeah. And yeah, just being somewhere, it was the first time I'd covered distance on my own power for more than an overnight. And it was really, uh, a good yeah good experience what was your big takeaway like what 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 made you want to do more of this like i mean i'm i'm sure i can i can assume your answers but yeah i think i think at that age it was the really low cost of being able to get far away and also the social element because we're just sort of surrounded by other people doing something fun Mm. and the fact that pretty much every night was um festive not not a party but festive yeah yeah yeah, good cross section of price and social life and, and adventure. And do you feel like um, doing a first big trip as a group like this was kind of like the perfect way into bike touring, just because you kind of share the suffering together and you have this communal story that goes along with it, where you know you you have the same challenges and the same excitement kind of thing as you go. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it was definitely a good good first one, and you get the yeah, the camaraderie. And you start off in groups and after the first couple of days, the group sort of settle and then you ride with the same people for the whole of the rest of the trip. So you're sort of forming these bonds and like you say, sharing the experience and getting tighter and tighter knit as a group. Yeah. Yeah. As and, people kind of form smaller groups, then you kind of, cause I'm assuming everybody's kind of at a different pace, right? Yeah. Yeah. There was a fast, fast group who did the day's ride in about four hours in a slow group who did it in maybe eight or nine. Oh, okay. So you still had the same end point and then it was just the, uh, the, the day's riding time. Yeah. Yeah. That's very cool. I'm concerned my headphone battery's going to die. <laughs> it keeps beeping in my ear. I thought Does it, it charged it. I can pause this thing and, uh, yeah, we can just leave it recording. Uh, actually I'll pause the, uh, the recorder and you can change that if you want, or does it need to be charged? Is that why? If you pause it, I can go get different headphones. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. It was in my planner to make sure I packed the right mic and the cable and everything. All right. We are back. Obviously not charging the battery. <laughs> no need to stress. I mean, 
shit happens. That's uh, that's generally the way it goes when you're recording a podcast virtually all the time. Yep. Cool. So yeah, we were talking about um. You, so basically, you guys had the same routes, um, same stops. Just depended how fast people wanted to ride. Huh? Yeah, <clears throat> that's it. Nice. And um, when you guys left Netherlands and got into Germany, was it more hilly or is it still quite a flat part of the country? Still pretty flat. There was one big hill coming out of Potsdam, I think, or into Potsdam. That was like a long, sort of gradual five, six percent type of thing. So I remember on the training rides in Yorkshire, they started, you had to go to a certain amount of training rides to be eligible to go on the tour because they wanted to make oh, sure okay. people could hack it. Yeah. And these started off like 10 mile loops around the city. And then they got further and further out into the countryside, up these sort of monster Yorkshire hills. And you'd see like 20 cyclists all by the side of the road, pushing their bike up, <laughs> freaking out about how they were going to make their way to, to, um, to Berlin. So when we got to the one big hill on the ride, everyone just nailed it. And it was, that was quite nice seeing yeah. everyone. The fear sort they of take out the worst stuff that you have in the UK and then, uh, or in, in maybe yeah. England anyways. And, uh, then when I guess you get into that's Europe, it. you're like, oh, it's not so bad. Yeah. That's pretty yeah, well. The flattest country in Europe. <laughs> yeah. What country? Oh, sorry. What country? What year was this that you did this tour? That was 2011. Okay. So then two years later, you were heading to Toronto, visit friends, uh, visit and, uh, cycled with Alex to Quebec City. Um, mm -hmm. What was your impression? I mean, obviously there was a point where you guys decided, you know what, we should ride across the whole country. Um, you know, what, what kind of brought this to be? And, uh, what did you think of like Montreal and Quebec and stuff and in comparison to Toronto? I really liked everywhere we saw and I was quite <clears throat> sort of captivated by how the sort of feel and the, um, the people and the atmosphere everywhere was just really kind and welcoming and, Everywhere we went, it felt like there's more to see, like locally and yeah. beyond. So you get into Algonquin and you see this like beautiful landscape, unlike anything I've ever seen before. And then you're aware that that's just like that's 2 just, yeah. max of what's there. And you can hop over like countless lakes to get even deeper and deeper in. So everywhere. That's right. And you did, a, you did a little bit of portaging and stuff there. Like you guys actually spent a little bit of time in Algonquin Park, right? Yeah, we went across... Uh, up Yongo into the next lake. So portaged across okay. into one. But Alex had like the waterproof pull-out map and we were just sitting there looking at it one night seeing you could go sort of days and days into it's, the It's pretty from. amazing how you can like canoe and portage your way deep, deep into Algonquin Park. Like it's... Yeah. It's unbelievably big. Like, yeah. Yeah. And we've got sort of open spaces in the UK, but it's hard to get anywhere where you feel like you're that far away from civilization. Yeah. So that was a really cool feeling. And yeah, like I said, everywhere we went, whether it was a city or a sort yeah. of national park or whatever, or a region, it felt like there was more to see and it felt very inviting to come back. Um, I found, because I was used to touring with a support van and flat roads, I found the physical aspect of it ridiculously um, difficult. Mm -hmm. So on these sort of slightly undulating roads in Northern Ontario, I was just like a mess. Northern Sweaty, Ontario is like, up. it's, it's nothing to like shy off. Like it's, it's challenging. Like it's, you know, yeah, there's, and was, even like our area around Ottawa, you know, because it's just constantly up and down and like you come down mm -hmm. a hill and the next one is just far enough away that you, you can't maintain speed to hit it. 
so yep. you're, you're now going slow again and and then you gotta start working your way up again you know so it's it's not like yeah they're not massive yeah. mountains but they're they're pretty soul destroying you know <laughs> yeah and it caught me off guard as well that's the worst part when you've got mm-hmm. an idea in your head what a day is going to be like and then it's different but so yeah, I spent a lot of time like napping and having um, energy slumps and all this stuff. So that was it. Was a real, it was a good learning curve. So the further we got into that ride, the more um, physically able I felt. So there was that sort of sense of accomplishment going alongside the yeah. And you did mention in your book that place. I think Alex said to you at some point on that trip, maybe it was somewhere around Shawville, if I remember correctly, or or heading before heading yeah. into Quebec, where he's like, you just need to eat more and yeah. And it's such a That's true it. thing, you know, it's such a, such a pure statement because you don't realize how shitty right. you can feel just by not eating a bit, you know? Yeah. So obvious in retrospect, but again, I think that comes <clears> from like my frugal cycling beginnings, just like spending as little as possible, which includes not as much food. So I was used to getting by on not, not so much, but yeah, he said that. And then he, he said that while he was eating this like enormous picnic and I had like a cheese sandwich or something. And it, it resonated. And the next meal time, I had what basically what he was having as well. And yeah, it was like a switch had been flicked. It definitely helped. Right. So in case any cyclist needs to hear that, just eat more. And, I and when you guys, I uh, doubt many do. Yeah, I think probably. I mean, I'm, I'm guilty of it too. I mean, I've had lots of times where I'm bonking just because I fail to eat properly. You know. Um, mm-hmm. So heading from Montreal to Quebec City, do you guys on this trip? Did you take the North Shore or the South Shore? We took the South Shore. We took a fairly okay. uh, convoluted route. We went down to Sherbrooke. Mm-hmm. And then, because there's a song called Barrett's Privateers. Do you know who Barrett's Privateers? No. It's, it's by Stan Rogers. And it's like a, it, it's written in the 70s, but it's in the style of like a 1850s sea shanty kind of thing. Okay. And it, it centers on Sherbrooke. And we like the song. So we took a detour down there. Okay. And then we also went up to St. Victor because Alex had friends there. So we went through like rural Quebec to see right. some places. Kind and of zigzagging. To, like, to like, mm-hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> so all sorts of places that aren't on the usual routes across. Yeah. I think. And then eventually hit the rail trail that kind of takes you into uh, Levy or? I know there's a long yeah, rail trail. Yeah, it's where the ferry is across. To, yeah, the ferry is in Levy. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. So we took that in. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. I've I've crossed the. Uh, I haven't taken ferry. I don't remember if I've taken the ferry, but um, I've crossed the the steel bridge, and that's pretty pretty challenging when you have bags on your bike and stuff. Or if there's somebody coming mm-hmm. the other direction and you have bags on your bike, and you're like, oh crap, you know, like. So the ferry's probably yeah. the best bet. Yeah, I love that the ferry's part of the um, route there as well. That's such a cool piece of cycling infrastructure obviously uh, it's yeah, not Quebec, dedicated Quebec cycling, is but. Quebec is definitely doing something right yeah, yeah. so uh, whenever you hit a border there in Canada it feels like really different how they treat cycling and Quebec was definitely the, the best the best yeah, one I think I don't think it used to be that way um, you know from my and I think I've talked about this on the podcast before but from my understanding and like what I remember is people used to always talk about how bad Quebec drivers were how shitty it was to ride bikes and this and that but then at some point there was just this mental switch where like all of a sudden, um, you know, drivers started being a little bit more respectful. Um, Quebec dumped a lot of money into infrastructure to make these route, route verts. Um, and wow, like just 
now I think it's it's definitely one of the best places I've cycled. Um, maybe not the best enough. I mean, there's you know PEI is small, but it's got really good infrastructure too. And um, yeah, that's true. You know, so I mean, there's yeah, definitely other places as well. But it's for the size of Quebec, they've done a pretty phenomenal job. Yeah, it was where we spent the least time on highways, mm-hmm. for, by far. For what it's worth, and I also live in Quebec, so <laughs> yeah. Yeah, plug night plug there in the <laughs> Yeah. Um, so at at some point during this trip, I remember I, I think you wrote about it. You talked about you and Alex discussing the the idea of you know we should ride across Canada or something. I'm not sure how it came up uh, or mm-hmm. where, but maybe I think so. Right? Is, am I right? Or am I wrong here? Yeah, yeah, that was pretty early on. That was like within a couple of days out of Toronto. I think. Oh, okay. And there was just this like bit of bike path. Um, parallel to the road we were going up just like muddy trail but it had a sign on a post saying trans canada and we i think either there or later we sort of spoke about it how okay the idea the idea that that trail went so far sort of i imagined it being like an unconnected bike trail the whole way and obviously in reality it's quite different to that but sure is yeah. the image of that trail that you could just follow and not have to go on roads for like thousands of miles to get to the other side was really really cool yeah, it's the so Trans Canada Trail slash Highway Network. <laughs> yeah, slash like waterway network, slash waterway slash hiking or good stuff. luck. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and it covers it's such like it covers like twenty four thousand k, right? Yeah, it's, you can get across it's, it's, in it's six it's or seven. So. Ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, and yeah, it's even really like cool. rivers yeah. and stuff all the way to Northwest Territories, and like, yeah, yeah, it's 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 a uh, it's expansive. Um, yeah. I don't think it's a biking network or uh, specifically no. any one thing network, but it's very cool. And um, yeah, and then recently there's a there's a guy from Ontario here, Matt Katie, who who uh, plotted a bike packing route all the way across Canada. And um, mm-hmm. well, sorry, I can't just say Canada because um, at Winnipeg he kind of diverts it down south of Lake Superior because the road from Winnipeg. Kenora, all that stuff to Thunder Bay. It's just not that great to ride along. You know, it's it's a narrow road. There's not good shoulders. And and yeah. for bikepacking, you just kind of want to not be on pavement. So he took it down through the U.S. So now it's called the Great Canadian... Uh, sorry, it's called the Great Northern Bikepacking Route. And, um, oh, that's awesome. So And it's, it's something like 15,000 kilometers, I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. but uh, That's really cool. Yeah, so there's that. Yeah. Next time, come back. Uh, do it again, you know? <laughs> yeah, we're... Hatching plans to do it again at some point. Oh some yeah, anniversary. So let's yeah. uh, let's talk about how how did the idea come along? What what prompted you guys to say let's go for it? Um, what were kind of like? How did things play out? And um, yeah, and what did you guys pack or not pack? <sighs> yeah, so the the idea was it planted the seed right away, and it was we knew that I think that evening we googled it or something or someone we spoke about. The trail with someone and someone told us that it was due to be completed in 2017 okay for the canada 150 which was four years away from then obviously and it seemed like a like a real sweet spot in time where it was far enough away that we could do it if we wanted to but we didn't have to commit to it so it was it could just be like a cool pipe dream as well and then every time we uh, I, I went back to the uk at the end of the ride alex stayed in canada but every time we chatted and quite a lot of email conversation all we kept coming back to that idea of like, should we cycle across? Should we go for it? And it's sort of gained momentum, more and more momentum, basically. Um, we quickly realized when we started doing research, 
that the trail didn't just go from A to B in a neat mm-hmm. straight line. It went all over the place. So we started looking at um, alternatives and places we could go. And then that just, it started snowballing, I'd say. We started getting more and more excited about different regions and different routes we could do and stuff and stitching it together. Yeah. Awesome. And uh, so then you you picked the date kind of falling around the Canada 150, I guess. Um, sort of, right? Yeah. Yeah, it was 2017 in the summer. So we, yeah, we planned to do it sort of June, September, cleared the schedule. Okay. Um, but you weren't like in Ottawa didn't... for Canada Day or something. You were just in a random... No, we were in Calgary. We were in Calgary, Calgary yeah. for that. But we were with people, we were with the, um, the sibling of my friend who's quite like counterculture and aloof. So we didn't actually participate in any of the uh, celebrations. Fair enough, yeah. There's, we, there's... I think we were floating down the Bow River on a raft. Oh, that's not bad. I've heard, I've heard the Calgary people love to float, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That was, that was sold to us as the best thing to do in the city. And it was good fun. Yeah. So we saw some fireworks happening and things, but we didn't, yeah, didn't immerse ourselves in it. But I think we got the flavor for the celebration mm-hmm. while we were going across. Like pretty much every town we got to had something to observe it and we heard a lot of different perspectives on it so we heard people who were super passionate about 150 and people who thought that it shouldn't be celebrated and people who thought that it was almost criminal the fact that it was being celebrated so interesting yeah. it was interesting getting that that range of opinions as we went yeah yeah and depending yeah. you know yeah because there's a lot of there's also a lot of first nations communities out there that have pretty strong opinions about the whole thing. And also, mm-hmm. you know, like you said, if, uh, you how did you describe your buddy's brother? Um, <clears throat> but, uh, anti-conformist yeah, counterculture. counterculture. So yeah. there's going to be a lot of that too. So it's, yeah, it's an interesting, uh, interesting experience then. Um, yeah. How did you celebrate that? Cause I kind of wish we'd done a bit more in some ways, but I don't even remember what country I was in. I think I was in Malaysia. I wasn't even in Canada. Okay. So yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. yeah. Uh, cool. Yeah. 2017, I was in Malaysia, um, dating Sweet. my, dating my wife at the time. We were probably doing something somewhere. I don't know. Um, That's nice. Very <clears throat> yeah. Cool. So, um, what did you decide on for a bike and did you already have the bike or was this like a new purchase and a, a new build and how'd you go about it? So it's a new purchase, old bike. Um, I had a touring bike that I took to Berlin and then that got stolen which was quite frustrating and then I replaced it and then I had to um abandon that bike somewhere because I couldn't get it home so I had like a run of bad luck with bikes oh no and then so in the, we we booked the flights for June to go out to Vancouver and in that March I didn't have a bike yet and I was sort of increasingly aware that the gap was closing in and um, to get something sorted so I went to a bike project in in Leeds where they take in donation bikes and do them up to give oh, to yeah, that's right. asylum seekers, um, people in poverty, etc. And they, they also sell, they give some away and sell some to sort of fund their running costs. Okay. So I went in and said to the guy, like, I need a bike for this, something that can handle a lot of touring. What have you got? And he took me into this like warehouse at the back. There was like a Aladdin's cave of bikes with just frames and parts everywhere and rummaged there was like stacks and stacks against walls and he went to one specific stack, rummaged a few bikes back and pulled a bike up. It was like a really battered, dusty old frame. (laughs) It didn't look like much. Yeah. But, um, he's, he told me it was, it's a Woodrup touring cycle, which I don't know if that means. What brand again? Woodrup. I don't know it. No. 
So they're like a little frame builder in Leeds. Okay. They've been going since the 70s, I think. And they hand make all their bikes. And it's just like a really lovely family run sort of business. Okay. Um, so yeah, I, I bought that off him. And the bike and all the repairs to bring it up to speed was about £400, which was cheaper than like the old, the bike I had before. So Yeah, it's not that cheap, yeah, but it's, it's still like probably for what it is and what you're getting. It's a, probably a good deal. Yeah. Yeah, I think a new one from them would be at least or fifteen hundred. So okay, yeah. yeah, and it's still still running, still serves me well. Yeah, yeah. And um, I'm assuming, I'm assuming flat bars, but maybe drop bars. I don't know. Um, yeah, it's got drop bars. Drop bars, huh? It's got drop bars with brakes on the drop, and also like um, bug antenna brakes. Oh yeah, at the top. Yeah, yeah, the ones that are yeah. flats. Yeah, so he, old he school. Lashed, yeah, and he lashed an inner tube around the. Um, bars because he didn't have any tape to hand and he was like this is temporary make sure you put some tape on you never did the first sort of 20 miles no and that tape's still there yeah the inner tubes are still there so that's wild yeah well i've got like inner i've got inner tube wrapped around a chainstay of an old mountain bike and it's been there Mm -hmm. for like seven years you know like yeah shit lasts forever yeah (laughs) yeah that's it that's character you get nice black hands after you've ridden but if you wear gloves it's no problem oh i guess so yeah um, and so what did you pack? Like, I guess you had panniers. Was it four panniers? And, um, did you pack so much that when you started, you were like, oh man, what have I done? So I went out to Vancouver with two for the pack rack and then quickly realized that I needed more because it wasn't working. So okay. somewhere in Vancouver, I bought front rack, front bags. So I had the two on the front, two on the back, um, sleeping bag on top and then something on the top of the front as well. So like fully loaded front and Pretty back. Pretty loaded. Yeah. Yeah. One was, I tried to like separate them out into rooms. So there was one I could throw down and it had a tent and everything in it. So the bedroom was squared, then the pantry bag, yep, wardrobe. Yep. There was like a book, one full of books, which I wouldn't take again. I'd take it or something. <laughs> that was just a lot, of, a lot of dead weight. Yeah, maybe like an but, e-reader or something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it felt like a good amount. And over the first couple of weeks, I sat, I like got rid of some stuff that we weren't, I wasn't using. But most of it. I think it was a pretty efficient loadout from from the get-go. Okay. And, um, yeah, so you went... Uh, so I believe Alex couldn't join you guys at the start, and then he he met up with... You guys met up with him in Montreal or Quebec City, and you had another friend with you, right? Christian, is that right? Yeah, my friend Christian. So <clears throat> he's from Leeds, um, good friend of Alex. I met him through Alex, and we all became friends. He's like a super keen cyclist. All of his family holidays when he was growing up were cycle touring around north of France or oh, so some cool. hilly part of the UK or whatever. So he was, and he's got, he claims that he's never gotten off of his bike to walk uphill before, like on all of his travels. So he's very capable, capable man. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. He came to Berlin. Um, he was immediately interested in the Canada ride and yeah, came along. It was really good. Um, he, Alex, like you say, couldn't make it the whole way. He was trying to convince his employer that three months of um, unpaid leave with a job guarantee at the end was worth their while, but they he didn't manage to convince them. So he had to take a compromise of one month. So he, we picked him up in Quebec City and he joined for the last bit. It's a, it's not, it's, you know, Canada's not, I think this is more common, these gap years or, you know, unpaid leave time in Europe. It's, I think it's, I'm generalizing, obviously Europe's a pretty big place, lots of different countries, but I've talked to quite a few people that 
you know, can leave work for a year or, you know, things like this. And they somehow pull it off. And I'm like, man, that could never happen here. You know, <laughs> mm-hmm. it's just not in our culture. Yeah. It's like, a it's quite unusual here. It does happen, but like I, I quit my job and just had a depleting pot of money. And then like a frantic couple of months when I got back trying to get more money. Right. Christian managed to convince his employer that they could do without him for three months and keep a job open. So he, he oh, hit the awesome. sweet spot. Yeah. Yeah. Let's just see. Uh, yeah. I think um, maybe I should say, I don't know. Maybe it's like, I, know, I do know in Scandinavia and stuff, it's much more common and like maybe Dutch and, mm-hmm. and Holland and stuff. Um, but maybe yeah. not in this uh, Anglo-Saxon Christian culture <laughs> or whatever you call it. Yeah, but they're just trying to take away as many of your sort of workers' rights and freedoms as possible. Exactly. Yeah, gradually. So, um, how was it starting... Oh, sorry. How was it uh, starting out of um, Vancouver and uh, trying to cross Canada, you know, with almost immediately having to hit mountains and big climbs? Yeah, that was very central in my mind, the, the Rockies, because... I'm used to hills and mountains where it's just um, either tons of really steep switchbacks going gradually up where you're climbing for like four yeah, hours nonstop yeah. or just they've slapped a hill over whatever's in front of you and you hit gradients of sort of 15 to 25% depending where you are. So in my mind, uh, we tried to plan a route but not look too much at what we'd be um, encountering. So it'd be like a like fresh and a surprise as we went across so I didn't know what to expect of the Rockies. And I also thought that as soon as we exited Vancouver, we'd be in the Rockies. I didn't realize there was this like interim distance filled with yeah. the Okanagan Valley and all this sort of beautiful rolling countryside. So I had like a fair amount of dread <laughs> in the first couple of days. Um, but as we got into it, that quickly like melted away and was just replaced by feelings of how nice it is to be on your bike all day, every day with nothing much to do apart from cycle. Yeah. Um, and we started hitting the foothills and then realizing that the gradients were never going to be that intense anyway. So, yeah, really pleasant. Surprising two weeks away as we got towards the Rockies and over them. Yeah. And then you're just in this, like, world-famous beauty everywhere you look. And it's awesome. Before continuing on with the show, I'd like to thank Panorama Cycles for sponsoring this podcast. Panorama Cycles is a bicycle manufacturer in Quebec, Canada, dedicated to backcountry cyclists that prefer gravel, snow, and off-road trails. They believe cycling is a catalyst for adventures of all sizes, and that there's no need to travel across the world or to be a seasoned athlete to live epic outdoor adventures. Over the past year, I've been riding the Chickshocks fat bike, the Canadian gravel bike, and the Taiga mountain bike. From everyday rides, bikepacking trips, and a multitude of races and events, these bikes have put a huge smile on my face every step of the way, while also getting me on the podium on the Wendigo Ultra Fat Bike Race and helped me set an FKT on the Canadian Shield 400. In partnering up with the Bikepack Adventures podcast, Panorama Cycles also wants to give back to the cycling community, particularly you, the listeners of the podcast. By using the promo code BPA10 when purchasing a new bike from PanoramaCycles.com, you'll save 10%. For more information on their environmental commitments or to check out their bikes, head to panoramacycles.com. Now back to the show. Yeah, I think it's, um, I think people just assume the Rocky Mountains are going to be these wicked, wicked steep, uh, you know, pathways, but it's, it's not as bad. You know, they're long. I'm sure the climbs are really long because I've driven them. So I know what they're, that's like, but yeah. I think they're not 
so terribly steep most of the time, you know? No, and there's plenty of places to, like, you can just lock into your low gear and take it easy and climb for a couple of hours. And then you just turn, you turn around and look behind you and you see this incredible vista of like hundreds of, feel what feels like hundreds of miles of horizon. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, really disarming, really cool. And I've not seen anything like that before. Yeah. When I used to live in Malaysia, we used to do this, I remember we used to do this training ride uh, in the mountains near where I lived. And you would go about 37 kilometers and you would push 1200, you would go up 1200 meters. So <clears throat> it was pretty intense. Um, great mm-hmm. training, great training rides. But uh, yeah, that's not like the Rockies. <laughs> no. Yeah, I've seen some Malaysian landscape out of a train window going down from Thailand. But, yeah. And it looked like it would be pretty intense cycling. Yeah, and that's hot. Cool. So that's, uh, that's the second yeah. part that makes it really tough. Tough. Um, yeah. yeah, so tell us about your trip. Um, it's hard for me to think of all the questions to ask you, but like, tell us, uh, tell us about your experience crossing Canada and uh, what your big takeaways were. Yeah, so immediately, like when I cycled from Toronto to Quebec, I mentioned the people and the, the atmosphere, and that was just immediately right back in that. Um, I feel like everywhere we went, whenever we stopped, people would come and chat to us, and there was just all these connections like coming at us which was really cool so any because our plan was to get there we had like a line on a map that we were aiming for but we didn't have a gps telling us where to go we just had like paper maps to figure Mm -hmm. out and we didn't have set points to stop or anything we were just planning to cycle till we felt tired figure where to camp so we didn't have a list of campsites or anything so there was like a little bit of uncertainty setting off whether we were going to come into issues with that approach or not whether we'd get to places and there'd be nowhere to wild camp or it wouldn't be safe or people would sort of tell us to move on or whatever but like the first day out of vancouver we just met we were trying to find somewhere to stay and we met a couple got talking and they immediately invited us to stay in their yard kind of thing so we oh, okay. had this connection wow. yeah and we had like went to their place had dinner talked to them about their adventures they'd done when they were in their 20s so they must have been in their 50s at this point so they were telling us about sort of taking a camp around soviet europe um and uh, soviet like eastern europe back in the day so it was just and then we camped on their yard and it was just immediately like kindness and hospitality and feeling welcome and when that happens you wonder the first time whether it's like a one-off we've just met like a nice person or whether that's going to follow you yeah and yeah it just followed us Everywhere, everywhere we went, it was that sort of connections were forthcoming. So you're immersed in all this beauty. You've got like the Okanagan Valley, which is almost reminding me of the Mediterranean in some places with these like sweeping blue lakes. And oh, yeah. Like really, really hot heat. Then you've got the mountains, which is a completely different kind of beauty. And then like obviously the prairies. And it's all just the thread running through all of it was this like real humanity and kindness. So yeah, I immediately felt like super welcome and super immersed in the ride. And it was a real nice headspace to be in. Yeah, Canadians are pretty awesome, aren't they? <laughs> yeah, it's a stereotype that I think you've definitely... Um... Yeah. <laughs> um, no, it's definitely... Uh, I've cycled around the Western, Can- Western Canada. I did it during COVID, so it was a little bit different. The experience, people are a lot more... 
not that they weren't friendly, but they weren't as welcoming because there was everything was a little more mm-hmm. standoffish. But um, and everybody was worried, right? So it was it was different. But um, yeah, it was still a fantastic trip, and I can't say that you know, considering the situation and the time, people were pretty awesome about it. You know, and people did stop and give me water and um, you know talk to me and see if I was doing okay and whatever. You know, like, yeah, it was all right. It was a good time. Yeah, yeah. How how was that? Were you allowed to? Like, where did you sleep if it was COVID? Did you manage yeah, to Yeah, get- so, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, I did couch surf, or sorry, used warm showers a little bit. Um, I did in Whistler. And I did, I had some friends, I had pl- friends um, along the tr- route a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. The biggest challenge was going north up towards Yukon, and that was the Cassiar Highway. And because it's mostly, um, aside from one town called Dees Lake, and another place halfway halfway to Dees Lake. Um, everything else is First Nations communities, and they had pretty much closed everything off to Westerners, um, unless you were mm-hmm. part of that community, actually, I believe. So it wasn't even if you were part of a different First Nations community, I think you weren't allowed in. Maybe you were. But anyway, wow. so they put logs across the roads and stuff, and we did go to one general store, and they said we couldn't come in, but they could grab what we wanted for us, and then they took our card and swiped it. So, oh, wow. I mean, not that, you know, they, they were helpful. So that was at least that, but I mean, the yeah. community had set up pretty, pretty strict rules. You know, they don't have a, a great history with a white man bringing, uh, you know, smallpox and stuff and wiping out huge population sure. portions. So when a pandemic like this broke out, they, they were as careful as they could be, you know? Yeah. So, uh, that, that was, that was the biggest challenge. To... Yeah. Really unique tour. Yeah, so yeah. So it's like going to be hard to recreate that for the next like few years, hopefully. No, exactly. But the one, uh, the one, the one good thing about it, there was very, very few um, caravans on the roads, as you would say, or as we'd say, camper mm-hmm. vans, um, yep. because nobody was allowed to cut through Canada to Alaska, even. So very okay. few people out on the roads. The roads were quite empty a lot. It was it was quite awesome, but uh, probably yeah. not good for the economy. But it was good for me. So yeah, yeah was it just you as well? Uh, from parts of it, yeah, I, I met I met people and rode with them for uh, the Cassier Highway. I was riding with a Slovakian guy, mm-hmm. um, just because there's a lot of bears and stuff, and it's a pretty unknown area and without much service. Yeah. So I figured it's safer in numbers. Uh, but for the most part, the rest of it, I was by myself. Yeah, <clears throat> that's cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah that sounds like a really special experience. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, anyways, yeah, yeah I, I think uh, you you took a train part of the route from what saskatchewan or regina to calgary or is that or sorry to yeah, uh, saskatchewan to winnipeg right yeah that's it so we had christian had like a finite window to do the touring he right. had to be he had a flight home on september something from st john's and we really wanted to do the Cabot trail so we couldn't fit that in unless we chopped another piece out and we right. considered like starting a little bit further east or or looking at the options but neither of us were too precious about getting like the unbroken line across by bike luckily so we just booked a train from uh saskatchewan to winnipeg okay which was yeah i and i sort of i got some advice from friends who were had been to or live in the prairies beforehand about whether they thought that was like a good section to skip because obviously you don't want to skip any of it because it does like a disservice to the place Mm -hmm. but we were trying to figure out the bit on balance that would make the most sense to not ride through but yeah, we got a good taste of the prairies on the way up from Calgary to Saskatchewan. 
So I'm there you Chris, go, people. Chris people Lee writing. does not like Saskatchewan or, <laughs> or Manitoba. It's <laughs> just about to say. It's one of my uh, favorite. One of my favorite parts was going yeah. out from Calgary to Saskatchewan, just because of how, like, all the peop- the humanity I spoke about. In yeah, BC. That was just like amplified tenfold easily. Yeah, I think you get into the, like farming the countries and people are yeah. even more, you know, like even more giving and friendly. It's just like yeah. Yeah, for sure. Just conversation everywhere. Like people pulling up at the side of the road and flagging us down to chat. And yeah, it's just lovely. Yeah. I uh, I had a, so, I had a problem on a mountain biking or a bikepacking uh, event and I uh, decided to DNF and just hitchhike home. And mm-hmm. it took me so fast, man. Every every time I stuck my thumb out, a pickup truck would stop because it was a very farming community area. And they're like, where are you going? I'm like, throw it in. And I'm in the truck with yeah. this mom and her two babies. And I'm like, man. I wouldn't pick me up, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm like stinking. I look gritty and dirty. And I'm like, I don't know if I'd pick me up. But she was cool. She was like, yeah, yeah super. So it's a farming, farming people, man. Farmers, they're, they're super, super trusting and super nice, you know? Yeah. Me and Alex hitched like quite a bit in 2013 because that was, <clears throat> we were going by bike. The goal was more just sort of exploring and having a good time than collecting miles. So a lot of days we'd put the thumb out and get in a pickup. And like you say, my only experience of hitchhiking before that was in Berlin, trying to get back west, and without the bikes, and no one wanted to pick us up. So when we stood at the side of the road for like five or six hours, just waiting and oh, waiting wow, and waiting, okay. and nothing happened, and then ended up having to get like a rideshare that cost a lot of money. So I was expecting that to happen, and um, this was in Ontario. So I was expecting like a long day stood by the side of the road, but I think it was within five minutes we were in the back of a we were in a pickup with our bikes <coughs> in the back. Yeah, and that happened multiple times, and then I- someone. Go ahead. I was going to say, I rarely pass by. I mean, if I see somebody hitchhiking off the, like the highway 17 or something like a bigger, longer, nothing highway, if I have space and you know, like I usually pick up people cause I'm like, yeah, mm-hmm. somebody's hitchhiking. Then they probably need, you know, they need help. And, um, yeah, that's the way it goes, but bikes aren't always manageable. You know, I, I did hit, pick up somebody once I had to happen to have a trailer with me. I was like, yeah, throw in the trailer. I'll drop you at the next town. Cause they were trying to get out like beat the rainstorm that worked out all right yeah yeah nice yeah i love that there was lots of nice people in pickup trucks in saskatchewan and it was just a beautiful atmosphere right what'd you uh what'd you think of the sky i would like to go back and do the section from saskatchewan to winnipeg that we missed so yeah and i was gonna say the skies the the uh the prairie skies are pretty uh pretty epic too um especially when you get like a storm coming through or something yeah, it's stunning. I remember my last view that I remember of the prairies is the observation cart at the top of the train. It was like glass panoramic okay. um, view viewing window. And there's just like, like a blood red sunset and just like covering the whole prairies in red light. It was really, really awesome. Yeah, it's things that so, yeah, a, a picture nice cannot capture. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and that was good. That took <clears> us into um that took us into Winnipeg where we stayed with some friends for a couple of days and they, that was a really like big shift in rhythm because we went from being like covered in sweat and camping at the side of the road in the prairies to staying in a family home with three kids and like sitting down for the dinner at the table and going to museums and stuff. It was very quick shifting gear, but really nice. Cool to be in a city as well. What did you, uh, what did you think of Winnipeg? I enjoyed it. We had some tips about what to check out. So I think we got like 
fast-tracked to the good stuff. Like I remember seeing the Museum of Human Rights, which was really cool. Yeah. And a few other recommendations in downtown. But I've heard that the... I've heard like some negative stereotypes of the city, I guess. So I yeah. wonder if people were expecting us to come away from it with that. But no, I really, I really liked it there. I think I, I think people tend to tend to think of the worst, you know. And a lot of times they you hear the bad things. Like yeah. it'd be like Toronto and saying, "Oh man, you go to Toronto. Toronto's too dangerous. There's a killing every day, and there's a you know gunshots every day in Toronto, and somebody dies." But that is yeah. very unlikely to be your experience if you go to Toronto. You know, like it's. Yeah, and I mean, exactly. almost an impossibility that you would mm-hmm. be the one to, exp- you know, it's just, it's just not the reality, right? Um, yeah. Win- Winnipeg, getting called Winterpeg is probably a good stereotype because it's really cold there in the winter. And <laughs> yeah, um, but then yeah, some of the other things. I mean, my family's from that area originally when they went. Well, originally mm-hmm. when they immigrated from Ukraine to there, um, north of Winnipeg, but. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I haven't spent much time there, but it's a beautiful little city and uh, quite nice. I've been yeah. there a couple times. Yeah, yeah, I'd go back there as well. Yeah. What did you think of uh, cycling to Thunder Bay? Like, I mean, I like I mentioned earlier about the lack of shoulders on the highway and all that. Yeah. You know, how did you find it? Did you find it as daunting as people talk about, or was it not as bad and manageable? I haven't done it. I stopped my trip in Winnipeg. That's why. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, this is one of the main questions I get when people talk about the ride is like this specific stretch of road. So it's obviously got a reputation, but and we we were aware that it was what the main like the longest stretch of highway without um, sort of good shoulders. But yeah. I didn't find it that bad. I think I'm used to fairly busy A roads in the UK where you're okay. in a narrow shoulder with like trucks roaring past at 60, 70 miles an hour. It's like a hundred more than a hundred kilometers an hour. Yeah, yeah. So it felt very much like that, but just in sort of prettier surroundings. Um, Christian struggled with it a little bit. I think he would have much rather gone a different route if there was one. But I was happy to just like get my head down and blast yeah. through it a little bit. I did feel like in that section more than anywhere else. I was sort of riding with blinkers for parts of it. So I, I'd stop looking around at the scenery and I was just like focusing on the road. Oh yeah, like a horse with miles. blinders kind of thing and just... Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's... I think when you're on the road for a certain amount of time, you have like... You hit the doldrums at some point. And for me, it was there. But that wasn't because of the traffic. It was just because we'd been going for quite a while, I think. Yeah, I think you get that no matter what kind of travel you do. Like I remember like... You know, when you travel in Southeast Asia, at some point you get... You get like temple exhaustion where you stop caring about seeing another temple even though they're all so damn beautiful right or if you're in europe and you go to churches and you're like oh wow that's another nice church all right right on i'll uh just carry on right um so you you kind of get in the hostel yeah you need to just a rest and a break it up and then all of a sudden you're like you start appreciating it a bit more again yeah i have it on pretty uh, go ahead sorry there you go go ahead i was gonna say i have it on pretty good authority from someone that the they're looking at building a multi-use path along that stretch from Winnipeg or from Thunder Bay to Sault Ste. Marie, I think, um, to add to that waterfront yeah. trail to actually make it better. And so you're not on the highway. So that would be pretty epic. And it might be a four or five, I think five more years, they said, before it's started or before it's finished. So okay, that'd be pretty it epic if it. they do. Yeah. Yeah. It really feels like a choke point. 
because so many routes funnel down into that road. Mm-hmm. And I think there is one more highway, like really far north, right? That you can there is something up there. I'm just not sure what its condition or quality would be like. You know, it might be something that's like logging trucks or who knows. I don't know. Yeah, it's the kind yeah, of one that goes think, up and around. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely think there's space for that trail. And I would definitely ride it if it was there, mm-hmm. for sure. But it was cool. It was cool that how, because everything funneled down, you're suddenly amongst like tons of tourists in that bit. And it feels like you're in this community. So we kept hearing names about like riders who were interesting or funny or kooky or whatever in the vicinity. And you were like always keeping an eye out for them in towns when you got there in campsites and stuff. So it starts to feel like you're more than anywhere we've been at that point. And if I remember... Sort of moving community. Yeah. And if I remember from your book, you mentioned uh, people actually knew who you guys were because you lost some of your luggage and uh, kind of became yeah, notorious it. in your own little way. Yeah? yeah, that was cool. That was a that was a weird experience being told this story about these two guys who'd had their bike uh, their bags either stolen or accidentally thrown in the trash <laughs> irretrievably, and then being like, "Yeah, that was us." It was really surreal because the guys were like, "What? No way!" And that's like, feel that's like so mental. Celebrity for a few minutes. You know, I thought it's funny because yeah. when you mentioned that and I read that, and I was like, "Man, I was doing that on the Cassiar Highway. I had my stuff behind, you know, in those yeah. bear-proof garbage cans. You open the back part of the lid, and there's a little area you can stick your stuff." Uh, the guy is with though. He had some, I don't know, something got into his bag of rice or flour or something. I mean, he carried a lot of shit, mm-hmm. so. Um, he deserved it. Yeah, flowers and anyone. <laughs> anyway, something got into one of his bags. I think it was rice because, yeah, it had like a hole and all of a sudden it was leaking. And um, But otherwise, everything was pretty good, you know? And like we didn't luckily have our stuff thrown in the garbage or stolen. So, I'm yeah. wood there. Hearing but. that from a Canadian native bike packer is really like, really good to hear. Really validating. Because I've been wondering the whole time whether it was like us or bad luck. So that's good. Good to know. But I was uh, I was up in um, British Columbia, so it might just be a very BC forestry thing, you know? Yeah, that's it. It, was, it, it, it was might just a, be something that they do, so. you know? Yeah. But yeah, yeah. That, was, that was sad. That was a bit of a setback. It meant we had to ride for two weeks without the ability to cook hot food, but it just adds a little bit more, another element to the ride, and we managed mm-hmm. it. So, And again, we met lots of cool people knocking on doors and saying, like, can we, yeah, for some reason we bought eggs when we couldn't cook hot food and then we realized that we'd need to borrow someone's like stove to cook them. So yeah. we got talking to a lady and she let us come into her house and she ended up cooking eggs for us and making us a pat lunch while we spoke to her and her husband about their like long life in 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 the region. So that mishap was another And this was like to, on the way, to that us. was like on the way to Thunder Bay or something, right? That was quite, still quite far north. Yeah, it was between... Rennie. So Rennie was the night after Winnipeg. That's where we lost our stuff. Okay. And it was all the way from there to Thunder Bay where we replaced it. We had a two day gap where we stayed with our friends in a cabin and had like tons of food provided every, every opportunity. Yeah. So yeah, we came out of like a pretty good situation and it was just a, I don't know, 10 days, maybe less. can't remember off the top of my head. Okay. Um, you mentioned, uh, and I'm wondering if the, I'm just wondering if this happens to be Elliot Lake, but you did mention in your your book that you guys went about an hour north or an hour bike ride north of the Highway 17 north of Manitoulin Island. Like, was that Elliot Lake or was it somewhere else? 
north of Manitoulin. Ah, you said you went so somewhere. Of, yeah, north of the cabin. Oh, maybe this is the cabin. Winnipeg. That was Catastrophe Lake. Oh, that was Catastrophe Lake. Okay. Yeah. And then down by Manitoulin, we were in Whitefish Falls was the place. The oh, state. Whitefish. Okay. Yeah. I know where that is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah. my parents used to live in Elliott Lake, which would have been like when, uh, before Spanish or after Blind River, you kind of turn up the Highway okay. 108 and that goes to Elliott Lake. And that's where my parents lived for a decade. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. I remember that sort of region. And my dad, uh, yeah. my dad regularly sail, sails in the North Channel, which is like the, the whole part of the lake that's between Manitoulin Island and Highway 17. So, like, not the big part of the lake, but this mm-hmm. smaller section. And by small, you know, I mean, it's only like, I don't know, 100 miles long and 30 miles wide or something, you know. <laughs> so, that's the small yeah. part of the lake. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the mental. scale of the water there was just mind-blowing. Like, I've never seen bodies of water that big that aren't the ocean before coming to Canada. Yeah, it must have been quite the feeling. Um, something I think here in Canada, we just kind of take it for granted. We're so used to lots of big bodies of water and, you know, um, yeah. big rivers, big lakes. It's just so normal to us. I remember my mother-in-law was here and we were driving somewhere. And she was just looking at these lakes were passing by. And she's like, you know, like Iran. She's like, Iran, we, we, we have dried up riverbeds because there's not enough water. And like, you know, that used to be big rivers when we were young. And here, you guys have so much water, you don't even seem to enjoy it. I'm like, oh, it's just another thing. <laughs> yeah. Hoarding all the water. Yeah, we're so spoiled. <laughs> yeah. yeah um, it's cool having sort of fortnights of ride defined by one body of water. That, that was like, you got the Lake Superior and then you got... Like Huron, Saint Lawrence, yeah. Well, yeah. So you it's got yeah, cool. Lake Lake Superior, and then Huron, and you went to Tobermory, right down through the lower parts of Ontario and towards Toronto, kind of thing. Did yeah, you cross? You took the ferry from Manitoulin Island, right? Yeah, the ferry was from or to Tobermory. I can't remember which way around. Yeah, it was from. Uh, sorry, going to okay. to Tobermory, Tobermory. Yeah, and then we swung up, so we could. Going towards um, Algonquin's West Gate. Ah, okay. So we could ride through it. Yeah, yeah. So we didn't go to Toronto. But you just, yeah, yeah just as well. That's right, because you mm. talked about the uh, Niagara Escarpment, and it's uh, it's pretty epic. Um, yeah. There's a there's a trail there too. You can ride a lot of it, but it's pretty rugged, and it's uh, it's pretty awesome though. Yeah, it'd be really cool to go back with a bike that can handle these. Um, sort of more rugged trails because I feel like there was a lot of those that we were aware of that we didn't get to ride and it feels like they're the ones that would take you into the real like deep yeah beauty. there is that mm-hmm. yeah there's a yeah. there's a lot Plenty a lot of pretty epic epic bike packing in this region or across Canada everywhere I mean for that matter yeah so um, yeah so how how did it feel like how was um, you know I, I think you can easily probably spent a month riding just along the great lakes maybe not quite a month maybe like a couple of weeks anyways and then next thing you know you're along the saint mm-hmm. lawrence river and it, like you said it never yeah. ends the water right yeah yeah and then yeah we got there we took the same route across to shoreville so we were with the ottawa river is it across there um 
when we then we picked up Alex in Montreal and then he drove he took a train from Montreal to Quebec so he could get his bike and sort himself out and we rode that last little bit mm-hmm. uh, yeah and we wanted to do we wanted to follow the St. Lawrence up to the Gaspé Peninsula and do the headland as well oh nice but that was a section we had to sort of sacrifice for um, the Kabot Trail as well. Yeah, it's so a significant. Across. It's a significant distance too. Like, I mean, cutting yeah, across definitely. versus doing that loop is probably like a thousand kilometers of riding or something. You know. Yeah. But yeah, and I've seen I've seen bits of the headland in a car in 2013. After, oh yeah, after the bike ride. So Epic. It didn't feel like we were missing too much, but. It's supposed yeah. to be a pretty, uh, pretty magical place to ride, though, from what I understand. I haven't haven't done it, so it's on my list. Mm-hmm. Have you ridden much on the North Shore of the St. Lawrence? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, I've cycled. Yeah, I'd actually say I've done quite a bit. I mean, especially in the Ottawa, Udaway region, um, all the way up to Mont Tremblant, which is kind of north of Montreal. Um, mm-hmm. Trois Rivières, you know where that town is, city is? So yeah, I've cycled like, that area and north, Quebec, right? yeah, north of there up to Shawinigan, I've, all the way to Quebec City. I've done. Um, I've okay. come back on the South Shore, but kind of my my end point has always been Quebec City, you know, because it's. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. And I've heard it just gets better and better as you go a little bit further away. Yeah, that's it. I'd love to go up to like, Tadoussac and Saguenay. Yeah, and stuff like there's um, yeah. If you go to like Tadoussac, is definitely definitely. I would love to go there in Saguenay and then Lac Saint Jean, for sure. Yeah. Um, but actually, there's a uh, there's also a winter road that they make. Uh, it's called the Route Blanche, and it's only in the obviously only in the winter because it's a bunch of frozen marshland. And it's at the very end of the road when you're on mm-hmm. the North Shore and you pass Tadoussac about another twelve thousand kilometers. You get to the end of the road, and then in the coldest part of the winter, they make this ice road because the towns and stuff along the way they're they're waterlocked, right? They can only get in and out with boats or airplanes. And, wow. uh, and it's like a 450 kilometer or 500 kilometer ice road. But I wanted to ride it last That's winter. Wild. And then unfortunately it didn't freeze enough. Last year was kind of an awkward winter, lots of yeah. rain, not enough freezing. And so I couldn't do it, but, uh, yeah, that would have been the first, cool the furthest the east radar. I go. Cause you go right, right to the border of Labrador, basically. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I've got to check that out. That sounds really cool. Yeah. yeah. I'm intrigued by what's up there, up that way. Yeah. How's it, how is it uh, cycling in the UK in the winter? Like, is there, I guess you guys don't get that much snow, right? Like, no, it's just gray, gray and wet. Just gray and wet. So, yeah. At the moment, it's gray everywhere. Yeah. Wet, yeah. drizzly, windy. We'll get snow maybe, some places get snow every year, but down south where I am, maybe once every two or three years, you get snow. Oh wow! And then sometimes it won't settle. Other times it will settle about an inch and a half, two inches. So it's fairly easy to keep cycling through winter. Yeah, you just have to like tackle the slush. We just uh, we just had a record breaking uh, snowfall time amount. So it snowed for something like fifty nine hours nonstop in Ottawa, and wow. that was a record that I broke it by like three hours or something, or some record from like seventy years ago or something crazy. Um, that's incredible how, so, how deep is it now? it's not that bad most of it came down the first day and then it was light flurries but i think we had about 25 centimeters the first like or okay. 20 25 centimeters the first day like yeah it was uh, it was a lot yeah. uh we had a snow day the buses weren't it was started on sunday ended on monday afternoon or evening or night or something mm-hmm. so uh, that was the main part of the snow um 
Kids loved it. Didn't have to teach yeah. Jack squat. We just did fun stuff all day. So it's easy. Yeah, that's good. That's what you want. That's all, yeah, that's it's all a real I treat wanted. When it here, it's so, <laughs> yeah. So rare here that it's like most people still, still savor it. Well, yeah. And in the UK, you wouldn't have, people wouldn't have winter tires, right? So if you get like, if you get a couple inches mm-hmm. of snow, that's, it's pretty risky yeah. to be out on the roads because you're just going to slide like crazy and everybody's going to be yeah, crashing, we don't cope. right? We don't cope well with it. Like public public transport just shuts down. We can't can't deal with it very well. So the country comes to sort of gridlock. Yeah, is, yeah. Yeah. Pretty awesome. embarrassing when you see like how you guys handle it. Yeah, well, it's part of life here, I guess. Um, uh, you know, mm-hmm. not everybody's a good driver. I think people are getting worse and worse here anyways. And there's more and more accidents. I drive, I drive to work and I listen and it's like accident at this road, accident at that road, like just non, just a phenomenal number of accidents where I don't remember that when I was younger. Um, so yeah, you made it to Montreal. You met up with your buddy, Alex. Um, and then you guys cycled to Quebec city to meet him there. Cause he, he was going to drive home, I guess, or something or take Mm -hmm. a bus or whatever. Um, train. How was your guys' trip? How did things change? How was the dynamic uh, moving forward after Alex joined you guys? Yeah, we were wondering how, whether it would change much because me and Christian had hit a pretty good rhythm, but because we all knew each other, like long-term friends, it was pretty seamless, I'd say. Um, he slotted in well. His daily distance was lower, obviously. He didn't have like the, the training in his legs. Yeah, yeah, it takes but time. The main thing, yeah. The main thing he brought to it was wanting to, so me and Christian were used to the highway at that point. Like we'd done the 17 around Superior and we'd usually opted for highways where they were an option so we could get east quicker to spend more time with Alex. But he was like, we need to drop the daily distance average by like 20 miles and take quiet roads and not go on any highways. So at first that was a bit of a, like a a clash, but very quickly convincing. Because mm-hmm. we just suddenly went from highways to these like beautiful Quebec villages with like quiet bike paths taking us on beautiful riverside paths between towns and villages. So yeah, it became a lot more relaxed and less of a desperate um, urge to cover distance, more to like immerse ourselves where we were, which was a nice, nice welcome change. Yeah, and uh, and in your book, I got as far as PEI. So you got to tell me about the the the, the rest of your trip and how it went. Yeah, PEI so is we weird, went. right? Like you can't get on there with by bike and yeah, too bad, right? Yeah, that's a strange place because it it felt it felt really close to the UK in the sort of atmosphere over there. So how everything was suddenly it wasn't like half a day between towns. There was just stuff everywhere, really closely linked, tons of bike paths shooting off in every direction. So it felt very, it felt like cycling somewhere in the UK and it was really sort of disorienting because a lot of the place names are named after UK places as well. So it's like, you feel weirdly familiar yeah. with this place that you've never been before. Um, we really enjoyed it there. We had two days and we just sort of skirted the North Shore a little bit and then dropped back down. Um, but yeah, enjoyed it a lot. You might have noticed Again, that most great. of Canada seems to be like UK names. Not not all, but I mean, there's there's like yeah. there's other random ones. I remember like Kandahar in Alberta, and I was like, "What do you mean Kandahar?" Like, you know, and yeah. um, all kinds of random ones. But just like literally, we just took stuff from all around the world, you know, because we're too lazy to come yeah. up with our own names. No, it's yeah, most it's likely somebody from Cornwall moved to Cornwall and settled there, and 
Named, the yeah, three, it. named it Cornwall, and now we have the city of Cornwall, and you know, and then we have Guelph, and we got mm-hmm. Waterloo, and then we have Kingston, and yeah. everything. I don't know. There's all tons of them. Yeah, Halifax. Halifax. Oh, is Halifax a British thing too? I wouldn't have known that. So yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's a little, well, big town near Leeds. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. Yeah. We yeah, don't have a Leeds but, as far as I know, but there probably is one somewhere. You have a brood now, which is there's a, a tiny little pub in Leeds that's like really famous on the indie music circuit, and you've got a town named after that. Which I'd love to know the link between those two things. But that that's the closest we saw to Leeds. What is <laughs> what is the what is the town name? I'm going to Google it. Uh, brood now, B R U D E N E W L. Brood Ontario. Yeah, there it is. That's the one. And there's one in Prince Edward as well. Okay, yeah. So I don't know the link or where the word comes from, but. That was, that was oh, a cool connection to, to Leeds. Yeah, yeah. Brudenell is a community in the township of Brudenell. That's <laughs> <laughs> actually not that far from where? Ottawa area. I've cycled right. many of those areas nearby, you know, just following trails yeah. and roads. And it's quite possible. We had conversations in that pub in Leeds, in the Brudenell Social Club, like planning this ride. So it was a cool, like, yeah, connection. Interesting. Let's check the one in PEI where that is. Yeah, I mean, we're we're not creative people, let's just say. <laughs> <laughs> well, you've got to get inspiration. Somewhere. Yeah, we've got to get it from somewhere. <laughs> but I found it really cool. Like, I found it did make me feel connected to the place, even though I've yeah. not been there. So it was an interesting way to... to your co- with our colonial history, yeah? You're like, ah, oh, yes, yeah. it was ours. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And again, EEI, like nicest people, everyone, yeah. just people kept being like, oh, you, you, you guys remind me of my kid. He's off doing this at the moment. Here's like, here's money for pizza. And we'd be like, we don't need your money, but thank That's you. Wild. And then they'd like insist that we took it. So we had like a lot of, a lot of delicious pizza paid for by, by kindly people. So yeah, nice place. I could imagine that happening. Cause I think like, unfortunately, PEI, you know, it doesn't have the most going for it in terms of people wanting to you know, if people are looking for big paying jobs and stuff, it's mm-hmm. going to be harder to find there. And I think a lot of people do leave. So probably yeah. the, anybody who's a parent or a grandparent of age, you know, like whatever they've, they've got, they're used to this. Like, oh yeah, you're adventuring. My child does that. Or, you know, my child moved to the yeah. different province and this and that. Or, but yeah, I, I could see that, that connection with travelers there. Yeah, it's really nice. And one lady that got talking to us on the west part of the island somewhere and asked us where we were going. And we told her where we planned to be the next day. And she was like, um, we went to a bike shop and she, in, in Charlottetown, I think. And she'd gone all the way there and like left an envelope for us with our names and like a description of us in there so that if we arrived, they could give it to us. And it had like a nice gift in it. So it was just like people went so wow. far out of their way to, to do stuff like that, which is cool. I think that makes, it made me, one of the you asked about takeaways earlier like one of my takeaways from this ride was just wanting to give that back to other people in the future whether they're cyclists or just sort of intrepid in whatever mm-hmm. way just like giving them some of that um hospitality and generosity and have you I mean, managed to probably the, yeah like we host uh warm showers people yep. that's the most we've done at the moment but um still I that's keep, a big sometimes that's a lot yeah yeah, I see, I see cycle tourists sometimes and I wish I had like stuff in the boot of my car, like snacks or water bottles or something, mm. but I never do. But the thought is there, but yeah, as I, as I age, I want him to do it more. Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, we'll probably be sooner sooner than later. We'll be at the point where you can be like, "Hey, man, can I Venmo you some money so you can buy lunch?" And like, <laughs> just who knows? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, true. Yeah, if we if we're on yeah. road trips, we often have like bottled water or something, or uh, like a cooler with sandwiches. So that's when I see the cyclists, and I'm like, "Hey, do you want a cookies? Do you want a sandwich?" Like, um, mm-hmm. and I thought yeah, it was a long way. Oh, what was it? Whoever it's that. This was somewhere before. Um, Portage du Fall. That's the name of the. That's the name of the crossing of the before Shawville. But um, yep. when you had that flat tire and who? What was that? Um, the person's the daughter told the mother, "If you ever see a cyclist walking, like or something." Yeah, that was good advice. That was so good. Yeah, if you ever see a cyclist walking, ask if they need help. Because yeah, why would a cyclist be solid? Like, yeah, exactly. So we got yeah, got a ride in the convertible to nearest bike shop. Got some tires and went on our way. Yeah. 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 And, um, yeah, what was it like to, so did you guys go into Halifax when you came back down into, cause I'm not there yet. So I have I've no. read most of the book. There's not too much left to go, but I know you were coming across the ferry on, from PEI and I assume yeah, you kind of skipped that area. Yeah. We got to, is it Caribou or pick two or I can't remember the name of the Something time like where you arrive. Pick two, pick two. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. So we just swung from there towards the Cabot Trail. Oh, I guess Car- then, actually Caribou is right at the water's edge, so it's probably Caribou. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we, we camped one night there, got absolutely drenched, and then the next morning debated whether or not to set off or wait for the rain to stop. Okay. And then set off into basically a week of nonstop drizzle and rain as we made our way around the Cabot Trail, which was really cool. Yeah, it was, is uh, it as great. is it as awesome as they say it is? Yeah, it was definitely worth taking time to do it. Like okay. it was so atmospheric and. Uh, intense and beautiful and the hills were like what I imagined the Rockies were going to be like where it's just like you go up for two hours and then you go all the way back down to sea level and then you repeat all the way around the headland oh, okay so it's hard work hard work lower miles like constant rain but one of my favorite parts of the tour just because of the how sort of dramatic and beautiful it was and is it paved or is it uh, gravel or yeah it's all paved like it's all uh, paved. highway okay. two lane. Uh, one lane in each direction. Yeah, yeah. Highway. But someone was telling me that all those towns used to be connected um, only by boat until like the 1950s or something. Oh, really? Again, just blows my mind because that it doesn't really compute that it's that recent. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of hard to imagine, right? So if you're going to c- yeah. cycle the Cabot Trail or Cabot Trail, you should ideally go counterclockwise, right? So you're along the water's edge. Yeah, I guess so. We went clockwise, but hang on. Yeah. Yeah. And then you'll be on the side. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. I read that somewhere recently. Somebody said like, I want to cycle the Pacific coast highway. And then the person's mm-hmm. like, well, make sure you ride North to South. So you're on the water side. And they're like, oh yeah, man, I would never have thought of that. Like <laughs> well, this, this one, you, you go up and then down. So whatever way you do it, one side, oh, one, okay. one way you're against. Yeah, yeah. 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 But I reckon just make sure you've packed extra waterproofs would be my tip for the trail because it was just relentless. And then okay. when you're down by the sea level, you get like the spray of the sea and stuff, even if it's not raining. So it was a wet, right. A wet yeah, place I can imagine. And um, yeah. So where did you guys take the ferry to um, in Newfoundland? I'm assuming to the east Ar- Argentia, isn't it, or Sid Argentia? It's just. Sydney to Argentia, or the other way around. Okay. So we got to like the southeast tip 
we are about a day and a half out of St. John's. Oh, yeah, yeah, I see Argent- Argentia. Yeah. Ascentia? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And that's it as well. We wanted to do all the way across Newfoundland, but there wasn't the time. But yeah. that would be cool to, to go back and do. I've spoken to some people who said that was like a real special place to ride. Yeah, it's supposed to have a, the T-railway or trailway is supposed to be pretty epic as well, but you need like a like a plus tire size bike, so three inch tires or something to be able to ride it effectively mm-hmm. because it's just chunks of rock. It's like old rail trail stone, you know? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, because we yeah we were we rode the Trans Canada from like the last day in St John's and it was the most hair raising part of the whole ride basically. I don't know why, but people in Newfoundland were driving faster and closer than anywhere, like even the seventeen. Oh, think, really? Around Superior. Yeah. So that was the, that was the only day I struggled with the traffic. Like yeah, last bit. Interesting. And uh, how was that feeling getting to Cape Spear? I presume. And uh... yeah. Yeah, very cool. We we spent the night in St. John's and then did Cape Spear the next morning and it was really surreal. I don't know. I can't, that's the word that comes to mind because you, you feel like an accomplishment, but it's been building for three months. So right. it feels like it's dissipated across the whole experience rather than being this massive like moment you arrive at. Mm-hmm. So I remember just being sort of um, feeling a bit shell-shocked and just sitting and looking out across the sea for half an hour, sort of contemplating it. And then that evening it hit me and like I felt really accomplished and proud, but yeah, it took a while to get there. It's wild. I, um, I was just wanted to look at, oh, actually I was looking at your book and I have to say, if anybody's thinking about buying your book, they should just for your bingo card. It's pretty <laughs> epic. Yeah. yeah. I kept us going in the, uh, in the doldrum <laughs> bit. Did you yeah. guys, uh, did you guys design this it. thing or you just kind of found it somewhere and you're like, we need to do this? No, we designed it. Yeah. Yeah. We were like, we need something to pass the time. And we kept, we kept noticing the same phrases people were saying, and it was like making us laugh. So we just like sat down and figured it out one night over a beer and we had different cards. We each had different ones. Oh, okay. Was, yeah. I forget who won it, but it was, That's yeah, so people fun. Pass the time. That's awesome. Yeah. And, uh, yes. so yeah, they designed for those that are listening, they designed bingo cards or probably came up with a whole bunch of different random things and, uh, and then said, okay, choose like 25 of them, and put them on a card. And so every, both people had this, like or three people, it was all three of you or this was pretty, that was right? just me and Christian. Yeah. So you and Christian would have had back. your own cards and then it's like, see who wins. Uh, looks yeah. super fun. Uh, actually, you know, I gotta really say I've, I've read quite a few bike books and some have been more fun than others. And when I started yours, I was like, oh, am I just going to read a, like a daily blog of his bike tour? But actually, in the end, as I got rolling into it, it was really good. So, I mean, great up on the book because, um, you know, it. I mean, I've cycled toured a fair bit. And so some of the things where I might have thought like, oh, OK, he's just going to talk about this. Um, it actually was quite interesting and it was just kind of brought back my own memories of bike tours I had been on and like similar experiences. And it was kind of really nice to relate to that. So I thought it was a, it was a very easy read. It wasn't, you know, uh, but it was super fun to just kind of relive my own adventures while kind of following your adventure. So it was kind of neat and, uh, you did a great job. Yeah. Cool. Thank you. I'm glad yeah. to hear that. Like I want, I want people who've toured to relate to it, like you say. But also people who haven't taught to feel like it's something fun and accessible yeah. and they can they can give it a go. So and yeah, I've read so many books where it's just like you say a day by day account of every single thing that happened. And you're like, this is really cool, but it's hard to like 
stay invested. So figuring out what to put in and what mm-hmm. to leave out is a real interesting, interesting experience. Yeah, so I'm glad you enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah. yeah thank you. And, and thanks for sending it because, uh, you know, I felt so bad after the podcast didn't work out when you said, hey, I want to send you a book. I'm like, wow, you actually want to talk to me still? Because I feel like I just did you over. Yeah. And <laughs> no, absolutely. Yeah, it was super. Yeah. It was great. I have, I think about, uh, I have like 30 pages left to read and I just didn't have time today or yesterday. Yeah, so that's right. It's the bit about the, so I sent it off for an edit and the guy was like, it's good, but I don't feel invested in the characters and I don't know your motivations. And I, I thought back to our conversation before you asked me about my route into cycling and like that's all the stuff about my PE lessons and dodging that and cycling school came off the back of that conversation. So uh, yeah, thanks for the um, planting that seed. Glad I, Very helpful. Glad I could help. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so um, have you done any bike touring since? Or have you had opportunities to get out or to just life get in the way and kind of uh, shackle you down in a sense? Yeah, me and Christian tried to do the North Coast 500 in Scotland, oh, which is like a, yeah. a loop of the Scottish Highlands, thinking that we'd be ready for it after Canada. But I think the combined elevation of that tra- trip, which is 500 miles, is the same or maybe slightly more than Canada. So um, I got injured and ended up hitchhiking most of it while Christian did the cycling. Um, and me and him have been out on a couple more trips around Yorkshire, but no, no long stuff. And now it's parenthood. And I'm sort of hatching schemes to get a tandem with a baby seat and a dog trailer. Yeah, yeah. Next one. Yeah, that's the plan. Yeah, I did the I did a basket on the back of my bike for my dog. My dog's well now she's like 45 pounds, so it's a little bit heavy. So I wanna I wanna kind of lower it down and get it as a trailer. So I probably want to stick her in like a Bob trailer. Um, mm-hmm. Bob Yak, I think, is the yeah is the non suspension one. They're pretty light. They're they're single wheel, so they just follow you. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, but then uh, get the baby on the bike. I think that's the uh, the better alternative now that she's getting a bit older and the chariot's not not that it's not useful. It's just not as applicable for everything. Yeah, yep. yeah. I'm looking forward to the first family tour when when that happens. Yeah, we did um, we did one as a family two summers ago um, when she was only six months old. So I mean, it's never you know. Mm-hmm. Um, that's good to know. And we did uh, we did the Petit Trains and all, so that's the rail trail that goes to Montreal through Pass Montremblant and all that. Cool. And it's two hundred kilometers ish, and we did it in like five days. But we had a little camper, so I would cycle. We'd all cycle together, and then I'd leave her and her sister and the baby and the dog, and then I'd cycle back to the car and pull the camper forward, and I just kind of yeah. shuttled things forward. So we always had a nice place to sleep and stuff, but not really necessary. You could easily do like. You know, hotels or little motels or Airbnbs or bed and breakfasts mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So that that trail, particularly here in Canada, has tons of options for accommodation. So it's super good. But uh, yep. yeah, so it's doable. Just takes a little bit of a uh, patience. Yeah. Well, Alex has got two young boys now, so I imagine at some point we'll fly out and do like a joint family oh, okay. ride. So maybe I'll float that. Yeah, yeah. That's a. It's a really. That would be a really good trail for a uh, family. Or multifamily, mm-hmm. yeah. It's about 200K total, so it's not too bad. Yeah, yeah. And um, yeah, so and and future trips, do you look at it as, again, at the bike touring style? Or do you think like now that everybody's kind of gone towards this more, a little bit more rugged bikes that can take more off-road stuff and just kind of switch things up that way? 
Yeah, I, I'm not sure. I'm open to anything, to be honest. We've got, we're talking about doing Canada Red again when we're like 50 or in the 30th anniversary of the ride or something. So oh, cool. who knows what the, what we we'll want to do then. Maybe we'll get, get it done sooner. But yeah, I would like to see, like I said, I'd like to spend more time and spend more time on the trails that take you away from the highway. Yeah. That'd be cool. Yeah. I'm awesome. going to check out the route you recommended by that guy as well. That yeah, I, like I don't think it'd be an easy route. It would be, uh, I think if you were to cycle that completely as an average bike packer, probably take you like six months. Like it's, it's, it'd be much. Oh, wow. Just because cool. as soon as you get off the paved roads and stuff, A, your speed slows down, but then you start having more elevation anyways. Mm -hmm. And it, it's harder on your body, right? So you can't do as far a distance and all these different factors yep. kind of tie in together to make a, make things pretty slow, but it'd probably be yeah. pretty freaking epic. Yeah, that's it. That's a good thing to a aim bunch, for. A bunch of old dudes on, on their bikes going for it. Yeah. <laughs> that's it. Awesome. Well, hey man, thanks so much for your time. Is there anything I missed that you want to talk about? Oh, I guess we could say that the book's name is Eastwards and Far. I'm not sure how you got the idea for that name, but... uh how yeah, that's you? from a song. Is it? Okay, I just yeah. imagine because you're going east and far, but... Uh, yeah, that's it. There's a song about... Um, I forget what it's about. It's like some old mythology and the phrase eastwards and far is in there. And when okay. I was cycling, I was like, yeah, we're going eastwards and far. And it just felt like a good, that's great. A good one. So I latched onto it. Yeah, very pertinent name and um, a really good book. So uh, good job. And uh, did your buddies read it yet? What did they think? Yeah, they liked it. Yeah. Yeah, past past muster. I had to send a couple of things to check they were happy with how they were characterized. So they got like sneak previews, but yeah, went down well. Yeah, yeah. Alex is like the 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 too good for normal food and has to eat fancy stuff and <laughs> Yeah, that's it. <laughs> if you're listening yeah. to this, Alex, it's gross, man. It's all that stuff you eat. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Pickled mussels. Yeah, I don't know yeah. about that, man. I it's not in my uh, my cup of tea, but uh more of a meat and potatoes <laughs> kind of guy or rice. Anyways, um, yeah. super great talking to you. I'm glad we could, uh, we could redo this and, um, hopefully it'll, uh, well, I should turn out better than the last one. So, and I think yeah. actually this one is much, much more encompassing. And now that I had a chance mm -hmm. to read the book and all that. So awesome. Yeah, thanks, Chris. Uh, thanks for having me. It's great. Thank to you. All the best to, uh, to you, the wife and the baby and, uh, hope everything is good and they're, everybody's healthy and recovering well from, uh, everything else and um that you yeah. guys have a decent winner yeah thank you cheers you don't have to hang up but cheers. i will say bye and uh talk to you soon bye cool see you later bye i want to end the show by thanking all my listeners once again for the emails and comments i regularly receive from you it really helps motivate me and keep me going with this project and to continue sharing people's amazing stories if you have any comments or questions, you can email me at chris at bikepackadventures.ca or go to bikepackadventures.ca and shoot me a message through the contact form. You can also check out the webpage for past podcast episodes, bikepacking routes throughout Canada, blog posts, videos, and touring tips. Lastly, I'd like to once again thank all the individuals and companies that are supporting the podcast. Head over to bikepackadventures.ca slash partners for some amazing deals. If you're enjoying the show and would like to become a supporting member, head over to www.patreon.com slash bikepackadventures to sign up. Patreons get to enjoy early access and ad-free podcast episodes. You can also support the show by sending a one-time donation through PayPal. This money all goes back into the podcast, helping me to cover the costs associated with running the show, buy new equipment when necessary, and continue to produce the high-quality content that you've become accustomed to. Much appreciated, and keep on pedaling.